If I haven't already had an opportunity to say it to you, then Happy New Year. It's hard to believe it's already 2020. I think it's interesting to look back at all the predictions of what the world would be like by this time. In many ways, the rate of change with technology isn't maybe where we thought it would have been by this time, 20, 30 years ago. We don't have any flying cars or significant space colonies or anything like that. And yet, in other ways, technology has advanced far more rapidly than we would have imagined. The internet makes us so closely connected with people all over the world, more so than at any point in human history. The generation now growing up will not remember a time when you couldn't see the person you were talking to on the phone. The way we communicate, the way we buy what we need, everything about our lives is changing and changing rapidly. And yet there are a lot of things when we look below the surface, we think about who we are and what we want, things that don't change at all, things that are staying exactly the same. As we think about 2020 vision for the church during this month, we find ourselves in a similar situation to that. A lot of things may be different in 2020, may have been different in 2019, This morning at South Wilson, our brothers and sisters there are celebrating, and we are celebrating as well, a one-year anniversary of the launch of that campus there at South Wilson, and we're grateful to God for the ministry that's been done there over the last year, the ministry that has been done here over the last year as we've continued to serve him faithfully, and God has continued to bless what has been done. And so we're grateful for that and look forward to another great year together. And so things change over the years, yes, But a lot of things stay the same. Just think of it this way. You go to the doctor, eye doctor, probably every year, right? At least you're supposed to, right? You're supposed to go for that checkup and see how things are going. And you stand behind the line or sit in that chair and you look at the eye chart on the wall and you begin to read. And something changes though over time, right? You read down the lines until they get smaller and smaller. But over time, things change. The chart stays the same, but your vision might change be a little bit different. That line that you used to be able to read with ease is now a little bit blurry, right? Or it becomes barely distinguishable at all. You need corrective lenses to help you see, to get your eyes back to 2020 vision so that you can see that chart, and most of all, so that you can see the world around you clearly. So we think about 2020 vision for the church, we find that same thing happens. Our eye chart, the standard does not change. God's word does not change. His word never fails because he never fails. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what changes though? We do, right? Our vision changes and we need God at times to correct our vision with his word and by his spirit. And so that's what we're after this morning and really throughout this year, 2020 vision. We asked the question last week, are you willing to pay the cost for following Jesus? Because Jesus guarantees suffering for those who follow him. But he also assures us of this truth that he is more than worth it. The question is whether or not we see it that way. Beginning today, we're going to be walking through our mission statement together. The long form of it is this. We exist to love God as he desires and others as he commands in order to live out our faith in practical ways so that we might lead others to the life-changing presence and power of Jesus. Love live, lead. That's what we're about as a church. That's what we're here to do at Valley Creek, not because they all start with the same letter, but because that's who God has called us to be. It's what Jesus has called us to do. 
Starts today with love. Love deeply. That's what we're looking at. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. Let's read that together. It says there, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. What does it look like for us to be a people, for us to be a church who love deeply? Here's where we are in the story of Jesus this morning. Jesus has just been clearing up some misunderstandings the Sadducees had about the resurrection, actually misunderstandings they had about God and about his word in general. He tells them ultimately that they understand neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And one of the scribes that was standing around heard all of this going on, heard Jesus' answer. He was impressed, and he comes up and asks Jesus a question of his own, a much bigger question than what he had been asked before. One of those big, what is the meaning of life type questions. The scribe's question was this, what commandment, Jesus, which commandment is the most important? The Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, contain over 600 commands. The scribe wants to know, Jesus, which one matters more than all the rest? And based on the way the conversation goes, it seems that this was a genuine question, a legitimate question like the one we're asking this morning. Jesus, what is most important? What does it look like for us to be a people and a church who love deeply? It turns out the answer to those two questions share a lot in common. And it begins here. First thing we need to do this morning, prioritize a deep love for God. Prioritize the deep love for God. Jesus says the most important commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's where we start. If we were asked, what does Jesus say is the most important commandment? We say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But that isn't actually what Jesus says first here. He begins with something else. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That statement that Jesus says there, it sets the parameters for everything that comes after it. It's a declaration of who God is, that he is a personal God. He is our God. We have a relationship with this God. And it's also a statement that he is the sovereign Lord over all things. There's only one God. And when we say we need to prioritize a deep love for God, how that looks in our life is going to depend a whole lot on who we understand God to be. That's why Jesus starts where he does here, because the call to love God deeply is a call to love him as he's revealed himself to us in the scriptures, as the creator of all things, the Lord of all things, infinitely greater than us. And Jesus gives us that command. And after he tells us who God is, then he tells us, prioritize a deep love for God. Love him completely and totally. Love him with all that you have, all that you are. Love him. He starts with all your heart. So what is it this morning? Who is it this morning that moves your affections and your emotions more than anything else? Loving God with all your heart is a matter of who we worship and how we worship. Loving and worshiping God isn't purely an emotional activity. 
but it does involve our emotions because God created us to be passionate and emotional beings. Are you worshiping God this morning with all your heart? As you gather with the church and then as you live for him throughout the week, are you living your life for the glory of God? Some of us are naturally more expressive with our emotions than others. We know that. The question is not about what, ha- what is going on on the outside if we're big emotions and big emotional swings. The question is this, what's going on in your heart? That's what Jesus is pointing us to here. If he is our God, if he is the one true God, then he should be what's most important to us. Love the Lord with all your heart. Love the Lord, he tells us, with all of your soul. Who is the one person you're closer to in your life than anyone else? Who is the first person you want to talk to when something big happens in your life? Loving the Lord with all your soul is about a relationship with him, one that is marked by constant and continual prayer. So if you want to evaluate, if you're loving the Lord with all your soul, then your prayer life is a good place to start. Does your strength come from him? Or do we try to find our strength somewhere else? Love, Lord, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. What is it that shapes your thoughts? Loving the Lord with all your mind means thinking and speaking rightly about who God is. It's about thinking God's thoughts after him. There's only one way that's going to happen in our lives, and it doesn't happen by accident. It happens as we focus our attention on what God has revealed to us about himself and about the world around us. Study God's word on your own, with your life group. If you're not in a life group, get involved in a life group. On Wednesday nights, as we come together as a church, every chance we get, we shouldn't be surprised, I don't think, that other priorities rise to the top of our minds when we spend all our time filling our minds with information and images and sources other than God. All our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. A lot of what we call love or we think about with love, our heart, soul, and our mind, that's invisible to the people around us. But our strength isn't. Our strength, Jesus is telling us, what we do matters. As the great 20th century poets told us, known as DC Talk, they said this, I don't care what they say, I don't care what you heard, the word love, love is a verb. It's an all-encompassing activity. It's something that we do. That's what Jesus is getting at here. It isn't for us to spend hours of time here contemplating the differences between what he means by heart, soul, mind, and strength here. The point of the commandment Jesus gives is this, love God completely. Love him with every part of every part of who you are. And that is going to show up in your actions, in a life that does everything you do, whether you eat or drink, for the glory of God. That is the love Jesus insists is the most important commandment in all the scriptures because it is the love that God deserves. Track with me here. Loving God with anything less than all that we are is not loving God for who he truly is. That is why we have to prioritize a deep love for God over everything and everyone else. Because loving God with part of me says something. And what it says is not true. It says that God is worthy of part of my heart or part of my time or part of who I am but not the God that's revealed in these pages, not the God that we've been singing about this morning, not the God who created everything from the depths of the ocean to the farthest reaches of outer space, not the God who upholds the universe by the word of his power, 
the God who hasn't even spared his own son, that he sent him to redeem us and to restore us through his death, who defeated sin and death once and for all, that God deserves and demands all of our love and he is worthy of it. And so we need to prioritize a deep love for God. So we see here in our passage this morning in Mark 12, though, the scribe, he asked Jesus what? What is the most important commandment? He wanted one, but Jesus gave him a second one. He says, the second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Right in that right there, we see a quick, good reminder that we need some time, and that is that Jesus' vision of what we need is clearer than ours is sometimes. And here he knew what, that we needed to hear this second commandment as well. It isn't enough for us to prioritize a deep love for God. We also need to cultivate a deep love for others. Jesus says the second commandment is this. It's like the first. They're tied together. You can't separate them. To love God completely, you've got to be a person who loves your neighbor as yourself. Don't know where your mind goes when you hear those words, love your neighbor as yourself, but mine go to the parable that Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan. You know, the one where a man is robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. A pastor comes by, but walks to the other side of the road. And then a deacon comes by, walks to the other side of the road. A life group leader walks by, walks to the other side of the road and doesn't help. And then finally, finally a politician from the other party comes and renders aid, stops and does whatever they can to help this man in need. So if you're really nervous right now, I'm going to start talking about politics. That's not where we're going this morning. So you can relax. Point is this, that we would feel the shocking nature of that parable that Jesus told. Because it was shocking. The Samaritan is the last person his audience would have expected to stop and to help We've grown accustomed to it, though, right? For us, Samaritan and good neighbor are synonyms. But they weren't in Jesus' day. He wanted his audience to be shocked that the Samaritan of all people was the one who showed mercy and love to his neighbor. And he wanted us to understand who our neighbor is, who our neighbors are. It's everyone we have the opportunity to help and to serve and to show the love of Jesus to in our lives. People across the political aisle, people of a different race, people of different religions, different nations, People different from us in seemingly every way except this, that we are all created in the image of God to reflect the dignity and worth of our creator. Because of that one similarity, a failure to love our neighbors is a failure to love the one who made them. So we think about loving our neighbors ourselves, though, we should also acknowledge this, that it's hard, right? It's hard to love others, just as it's hard sometimes to love ourselves some of us can be pretty hard on ourselves. We don't like who we are. We don't like what we see in the mirror. We don't like where we are in life. Some of you would say, love my neighbor as myself. That sounds pretty easy because I don't even like me. And if that's you today, then you need to hear this, that you are created in the image of God for a relationship with him to reflect his glory and his goodness and his love. That is who you are. Yes, we are fallen and sinful and broken. We've all fallen short of God and the mark that he has set for us. But God, the one who created us, the only one who has standing to condemn us, sent his only son to redeem us and to restore us. And if you're in Christ this morning, he says you're forgiven. He says you're free. 
He says you are his son or his daughter. He says you have a purpose. He says you're loved. Church, that is the truth this morning about who you are, not what the culture says about who you are, not what the enemy tells you. You are who Jesus says you are. Hear this this morning. So is the most difficult person you've ever met in your life. Person that's hardest for you to love, at least some of those same things are true of them. They are created in the image of God as well. They're broken and sinful, fallen. And whether they know Jesus yet or not, the call on our lives is to love them deeply. That's hard because they get on our nerves. Let's just be honest. They're frustrating or annoying or maybe because they've hurt us deeply. I'm not here to minimize any of that this morning. It makes it hard for us to love others. I haven't even gotten into the fact that right, I'm sinful, I'm broken, I'm impatient. Right? That plays into my inability sometimes to show the type of love that I should be showing. I need to repent of those things. We all do. It's hard to love others. And that's part of what makes this feel a little bit strange when we hear Jesus telling us, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. I can tell you to do that all day, but I can't make it happen in your heart. It doesn't happen with a snap of a finger. It's something that requires growth and cultivation over time in our lives. Don't think any of us are here this morning are going to stand up and say, I've arrived when it comes to loving others as I love myself. It's a journey we're all on together, cultivating a love for others. It's a process we help each other with, a process where we sharpen each other in the church because guess what happens? I'm going to let you down at some point and get on your nerves at the very least and vice versa. But the scriptures tell us what love for others looks like. The scriptures show us what it means to love others as ourselves. 1 Corinthians 13, it's a passage we often think of as a wedding passage. But it's a church passage. It's about the gifts the Spirit gives to build up the body of Christ. And Paul then launches into this powerful description of what love looks like. And so we're going to read verses 4 through 7 there together this morning. As I read these verses, let's allow the Holy Spirit to use them as a light in our hearts and in our lives. Is this how we are loving others. This is the type of love we show to our neighbors, to our co-workers, and our families. Let's read it together. It'll be on the screen here. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what love looks like. And I'm still relatively new around here, but some of you all have been here for a long time serving the Lord together. What happens over time is this, that God grows our, cultivates our love for one another. But what also happens over time is we don't always agree on everything, right? I know I'm full of great insights this morning. We don't always agree on everything. But at some point... We work together and we go on, but at some point I get tired of being patient, don't you? Sometimes I get tired of being patient with people, tired of deferring to others, tired of moving past things. I just want to be angry for a while. Let them defer to me, let them do things my way. But that isn't what love looks like. It isn't how love works. Love is patient 
and kind. It's never mean and spiteful. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's never selfish or self-promoting. Love isn't arrogant or rude. It's always humble. It doesn't insist on its own way. We always put the needs of others first. Love isn't irritable or resentful. It's always content. Love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but with what's right and what's good and true. Church, somebody else's bad behavior, somebody else's sin doesn't justify ours. And when it comes to our relationships with one another, we bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. That's what it looks like to cultivate a deep love for others. And so this morning, where does that cultivation need to start in your life? Crowd this side. Maybe there's somebody in this room that you say, I need to reconcile with them. There's something going on that I need to forgive. I need to ask for forgiveness. It's time to sit down and work it out because that's what love does. It's time to move forward in love. Some of you are looking around and you're saying, you know, I'm not really connected that much to the people around me here. As I think about loving my neighbor as myself, as I look around at those in this room, I want to encourage you to make this a year that you cultivate a love for others in the church by getting involved in the ministry that's going on here, by getting involved in a life group, by getting connected to those around you. Because it's what Jesus calls the most important commandment. And if it was the second most important commandment in Jesus' eyes that we love our neighbor as ourselves, then it's worth us taking it seriously. Cultivate a deep love for others because Christ commands it. And just like our love for God, our failure to love others says something dangerously untrue to the world around us. Our failure to love as Christians is the denial of God's love for us. 1 John 4, beginning of verse 20, says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, does not, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's make this a year of cultivating and growing our love for others. It's what Jesus says we're to be known for, is our love for one another. It isn't easy, but it's who we are because it's who he is. We prioritize the deep love for God, cultivate a deep love for others. The truth about those commandments we've already said is we don't have the power within us to carry them out in our own strength and in our own power. I'll speak for myself Say it's far too easy for me to grow impatient and for me to prioritize what I want even over what God says at times. If I'm going to obey what Jesus calls the two most important commandments in the Bible, then I need help every day, every hour. His help. If you're going to love God and love others deeply, then you've got to be compelled to do that as well. You're not going to be compelled to do it by guilt or by fear, you're going to have to be compelled by God's deep love for you. Be compelled by God's deep love for you. First John 4, earlier on in that chapter, verse 7, it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another.
No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Again, that's a whole other sermon. We don't have time to preach right now, but that's good news this morning. Our love often fails, but our hope and our strength is this, that his love is perfect. Love isn't from us. It doesn't come from within us. It comes from God. It's at the core of who he is. And as we said earlier, love is expressed in action. God has shown us what it looks like to love. He's shown us in Jesus more clearly than we could have ever come up with in any words to describe it on our own. The love of God has been revealed to us in that God sent his only son into the world to forgive those who were dead in their trespasses and sins, to give us new life through his death on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead. I love verse 10 there in 1 John 4. Here's what love is. It isn't that we loved God, it's that he loved us. Love isn't measured by my patience or kindness or humility or graciousness or mercy or lack thereof. It isn't defined. It doesn't produce by anything I do. Love is what Jesus has done for us, his death for our sins. And if Jesus loved us while we were still sinners, enough to die for us, then we also ought to love one another without resentment, without keeping a record of all the ways we've been wrong. God's love for us, compels us to love God and to love others deeply. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 says, the love of Christ controls us. It compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The good news of Christ's love for us compels us to love others. It compels us to love him. And so if you're struggling this morning, to love the Lord with all your heart, and you're struggling this morning to love those around you, I'm not here to tell you to try harder or to just be better, telling you to look again and to look longer at the love of Jesus. Great hymn, old hymn of our faith says this about the love of Jesus. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. Rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of your love leading onward, leading homeward to your glorious rest above. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Tis heaven of heavens to me, and it lifts me up to glory, for it lifts me up to thee. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Spread his praise from shore to shore. How he loves us, ever loves us. Changes never, never more. Be compelled by God's deep love for you. We won't love deeply until we see Jesus clearly. We see that in the Gospels. Gospel of Luke, verse 2020, describes the situation with Jesus. It says, they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. See, there are a group of people who saw Jesus with their own eyes, They watched him. They saw who he was, watched what he did, but they didn't see him clearly. They didn't see his authority and his power and his glory and his grace. They were clouded by their own agendas and clouded by their own priorities. They didn't love Jesus and they didn't love others. But then the Gospel of John, verse 2020, after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we see when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples 
They were glad when they saw the Lord. The disciples, they saw Jesus clearly. Son of God crucified for their sins and raised from the dead, winner of the only victory they ever needed, and they were glad when they saw the Lord. This morning, are you glad to see Jesus? The call today is to love deeply, to love God with every part of every part of you, to love others with the same grace and kindness with which Christ has loved you because he is the source of our love for him and our love for one another. The call is to love deeply and to forgive freely. But the question this morning is this, are you seeing Jesus clearly? Luke 20, 20, they saw Jesus with their own eyes, but they didn't see him clearly. John 20, 20, they were glad when they saw the Lord. Same Jesus, different vision. He doesn't change, but we do. And thankfully we can through his love and through his power. How's your vision this morning. Maybe you've never seen Jesus clearly before. You've never made a decision to follow him with your life, to trust him, to receive the salvation that he offers. As we sing in a moment, I invite you to come and begin a conversation about your next step with Jesus. Maybe your vision of Jesus has grown cloudy over time. You've wandered away from your first priority, your first love for God. As we sing in a moment, I invite you to come to this altar and pray. Maybe you're just ready this morning to dive deeper into the love of Christ. You're ready to say to the Lord, to your church family, that 2020 is a year for you to pursue a closer walk with him. If any of that sounds like you this morning, I challenge you to do this. Find someone. Find someone you know, someone you can share that with, someone who will pray with you and encourage you, someone that you can encourage as well. As we challenge each other over this next year, encourage one another to love deeply. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you. Thank you for your love, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Love without end, love without measure, Lord. Love that pursues us who have rebelled against you, who have run from you, Lord. Those who are far from you, cut off from you, Lord. Your love pursues us, Lord, to the point of laying down your life for us. God, we thank you for that love. Love that compels us when we see it clearly to love you and to love those around us, Lord. Help us to see Jesus clearly. Help us to love others deeply. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.